0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Case Acquaint. You have found episode 9. Today we tell the story of a young woman who had her whole life ahead of her. She had started a new job as a deputy sheriff of the community in which she lived. Her future was bright. Then her plans began to unravel due to abuse and harassment, which ultimately resulted in disaster and unimaginable heartache for her family. This young lady's family has been searching for answers and justice for nearly 30 years. This is the story of Robin Abrams. In the early morning hours of October 5, 1990, a resident near the intersection of 152nd Street and Winchester Avenue in the town of Harvey, Illinois, called police. You see nearby was a newer red Dodge Daytona hatchback which had been placed there several hours prior and now somebody was apparently trying to break into it. Once police arrived to investigate a neighbor told them that the car had been dropped by two men in a tow truck and the neighbor was able to describe the two men. Now Harvey is located in Cook County and that's about 30 miles away from where the subject of our episode, Miss Robin Abrams, lived in Bessemer City, Will County. Could it be assumed that the people who dropped her car in Cook County hoped it would create a sufficient amount of confusion to buy a few days before her car was spotted and connected to a missing person? Well, Cook County law enforcement contacted Robin Abrams' home and informed the family that they had the car. When Cook County was told that a missing persons report had been filed for Robin, Cook County police turned the car over to Will County and thus began the mystery of the disappearance of Robin Abrams and the shameful cover-ups that ensued and to this day have continued to stunt progress on Robin's case. So let's go back in time a little further. A time when the owner of that newer red Daytona was working at McDonald's in the town of Frankfurt, Illinois. That's in Will County. Robin, who put herself through college and was back home and making her way up through management at a local franchise, became acquainted while at work with an older man named Tony, a customer and also a supervisor for the auxiliary officers at the Will County Sheriff's Department. His full name is Anthony Marquez and the two had a shared interest in law enforcement, Robin's dad being a former police officer and Marquez being a current deputy at the time. So by the beginning of 1988, Robin had been hired as a sheriff's deputy for Will County. She and Marquez continued developing a relationship, which became intimate, according to court records, in May of 1988. But soon thereafter, Robin was understandably disappointed to learn that Marquez was married. She ended the relationship, but their breakup was acrimonious. By October, co-workers observed bruising on Robin's face. After much discussion and denials by Robin, she finally admitted that her ex-boyfriend and her current supervisor at the sheriff's department had struck her when she tried to break up with him. As a result of this incident, Robin was ordered to have no contact with Marquez beyond her duties as a deputy. By this time, Marquez had started to badmouth Robin to other officers in the department, saying she couldn't handle the affair, she had mental problems, despite Robin's history of being well-liked by all co-workers and managers over the course of her career. Robin made attempts to reason with Marquez in order to save her job and her reputation, since she had to work for him and with his friends, but for that, Robin was reprimanded. Due to the slander of Robin's mental health, she was ordered to undergo a psychological evaluation, and that evaluation actually ended up being a favorable evaluation. Still, Robin was in an impossible situation. Robin had also made overtures to the chief, John Johnson, in a desperate attempt to save her career with the sheriff's department and to stop the harassment by Marquez and his friends. But the chief, himself a friend of Marquez, would not speak with her. Robin had nobody to turn to. Now you would think Marquez would have some explaining to do. Curiously, he didn't. Here we have a guy who brought a person into the department who was interested in sexually. He made no secret about the fact that he was exploiting Robin. When she broke up with him, he physically assaulted her and ostracized her from her colleagues. Being his employee, Robin was at Marquez's mercy, but Marquez showed no mercy to Robin. He didn't have to. He was lifelong friends with everybody in power at the department. He himself had been employed there for over 10 years. Was he ever in hot water for abusing Robin? There's no indication that he was. Nonetheless, he jumped at the chance to ensure Robin's career at the Will County Sheriff's Department ended badly. In December of 88, as Robin was leaving at Dry Cleaners, she was detained by a Will County colleague. She even still had her work uniform on. Without anyone advising her of any charges, Robin was taken to the county jail and booked. Later in the day, she was released without charges. And Robin was fired from the department one week after her arrest without a charge and two weeks before her probationary period as an employee would have been expended. We might wonder, what type of training did their officers undergo on domestic violence situations? Like, what kind of training did, for example, the chief or the deputy chief have? Some might say, oh, that was a long time ago. And that's true. Illinois came out with a new Domestic Violence Act in 1986. It has had several improvements since then, but as it stood back then, unfortunately, the act did not extend to a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship in which the partners did not reside in the same place. So Robin's protection as a domestic violence victim was compulsory. And in fact, it ended up taking months of harassment, assault, professional humiliation, and personal indignities for her to get an order of protection. And on top of that, the harassment was so bad that Robin's mother was also a recipient of the so-called protection because, as you'll hear, Marquez didn't care if her mother was around or not when he harassed or directed the harassment of Robin. It would have been nice if that order had extended also to everyone who actually harassed and threatened Robin at the command of Anthony Marquez. In 1988, when Robin was assaulted by Marquez and Marquez even admitted as much to his superior, was that superior required to do anything? Aside from departmental policies we can only make conjectures about, unless I'm reading the law incorrectly, no, they weren't. So that era was a time of transition. There was awareness about domestic violence, but it was still a time in which you could label a woman mentally ill and thus not appropriate for her law enforcement position without producing any evidence or an untreated diagnosis to back it up. You could just tell everybody that she couldn't handle an affair. Obviously that was not the reason they gave for firing Robin. Their reason was that she failed to meet expectations of a member of the department. Outside of the consequences of entering into and then leaving a relationship with Marquez, Robin's record with the department up to that point was that of a good employee and officer. So that was the end of Robin's career at Will County Sheriff's Department. At that point, Marquez embarked on a renewed campaign of harassment of outrageous proportions. So what he did was he filed multiple criminal complaints against Robin, now a private citizen, over the next year. She was arrested and charged with various petty crimes, all witnessed by Anthony Marquez. And by some accounts, there were over a hundred different complaints filed against Robin. In March of 1989 alone, Marquez filed at least six complaints against Robin, In April, a warrant for Robin's arrest was made and police arrested her with guns drawn at her apartment. A few months later, another warrant was issued and she was again arrested, booked, and then she was placed in a jail cell reserved for male felons, inside of which there were already 10 male felons. I'm not going to go through every little complaint because that would take probably about two hours, but I, I would like to suffice all of this by saying that Robin was eventually found innocent of all of these frivolous and tyrannical charges. Robin's family said that not only was Robin actively avoiding Marquez, he was the one stalking her. And that's actually what the evidence shows. What kind of prosecutor would waste their time on this kind of thing? Only one who personally knew Anthony Marquez. And that would be the same type of officer who would arrest Robin just at the behest of Anthony Marquez. What's super disturbing here is that a person, just because a law enforcement official doesn't like her or has a personal vendetta, this private citizen could be railroaded so egregiously and also be forced to live in constant fear of physical threats in jail. How is Robin supposed to move on with her life after being wrongfully fired if she is continuously stalked by this crazy person who has so much power in the community? You cannot make this stuff up. It actually happened. I'm gonna give you one quick and final example of uh, the things that you cannot make up. One time Robin was arrested because Marquez filed a complaint that she had violated an order of protection against her on behalf of Marquez, but they eventually had to release Robin because after being booked, they found that no order of protection had ever been granted. Like I said, Eventually Robin was brought to trial. After she was found not guilty of all of those ridiculous charges against her, a judge had finally had enough for the time being of Marquez and the Will County Sheriff's Department's abuse of its power. Robin and her mom were granted an order of protection from Marquez in November of 1989. A lot of things that Robin's family says happened and sometimes they found out later didn't make it into official police reports. Like Marquez damaged Robin's mom's van with a bat. He crashed into Robin's car. He would call her on the phone all the time and threaten her. And one of the reasons why Robin's family didn't know about some of this until later is because Robin lived by herself while she was working for the department. And she didn't tell them everything that was going on in her life. After being fired, she moved back in with her mom and dad. And that's when they were exposed to some of the behavior on the part of Anthony Marquez and his minions. In December of 1989, almost exactly one year from the date of her termination, and after at least a full year of abuse, threats, and harassment, Robin filed a federal lawsuit for sexual harassment and wrongful termination. There were many defendants in this suit, including Anthony Marquez, and they were all employees and officers of the Will County Sheriff's Department. The lawsuit contended, among other things, that her professional abilities were questioned because Anthony Marquez assaulted her and it demanded compensation for the instances of malicious treatment she received by various officers when she was unfairly detained and arrested. Now for this lawsuit, Robin was due to sit for a deposition in October of 1990. Everybody knew when that deposition was to take place. And if you look at the lawsuit, pretty much everything that was claimed in the lawsuit could be easily verified by documentation that the sheriff's department itself had made. There were police reports, she was booked, she had her mugshot taken. So this is not a groundless lawsuit. It was a lawsuit that had merit and that had threatened the livelihood of all eight of these individuals and their families. There's a very good chance that they would all pay dearly for their actions. The month of October 1990 began, and Robin was busy preparing for her deposition. She was also back working at McDonald's where she was well-liked and respected. Then Robin Abrams, driving down the street, exchanged waves with her dad as they passed each other near their home on October 4, 1990. And that was the last time anyone who loved Robin Abrams laid eyes on her. She was seen later at a gas station putting gas in her car, And the same witnesses claimed that one Anthony Marquez was also at that gas station. What a coincidence. And that was the last ever reported sighting of Robin. Robin's family had no choice but to file a missing persons report with the agency, which was responsible for all the misery in their lives. So here's what we have up to this point. We have a woman who these men despise. Getting her fired wasn't enough. They had to harass her. When that didn't work and she retaliated with a lawsuit, she conveniently disappeared. So back to the car, Robin's Red Daytona. It was impounded and processed first by Will County. Then it was turned over to state police. Then it was returned to the car lot since there was a lien against the title. Robin's family never had access to that car after it was found. But according to what was released to the public, the car was locked, the keys were inside, and a camera was also inside the car. There are rumors that there was film in that camera, but what was on that film has not been released. We've got more details about evidence inside that car in just a minute. But first, the neighbor who saw the two men drop the car in the location in which it was found was able to describe the tow truck. He was also able to pick out the two men in a photo lineup both Tony Marquez and a person who is said to be his stepbrother, one John Romo. We're not sure what the relationship is between these two guys. It could be that Romo is married to Marquez's sister, making them brothers-in-law. Or they could be stepbrothers, we are not sure. Either way, there's apparently some type of familial relation. So, John Romo owns a concrete business. It's been said that Marquez has another friend by the name of Massino, who owned a towing company at the time of Robin's disappearance. Briefly, back to the car. There were what Illinois State Police referred to as items of evidentiary interest in Robin's car. Because of that evidence and because of the relationship Robin had with Marquez, a Will County grand jury granted subpoenas requiring both Marquez and Romo to submit fingerprints, blood and hair samples, and to report for a lineup. An appellant court disallowed the blood and pubic hair samples. On appeal, however, the Illinois Supreme Court ruled that none of the evidence could be subpoenaed. So not only was that a lucky break for the seemingly unstoppable stalker Marquez, but it was also a landmark decision setting a new precedent in the state of Illinois. It's a win for those concerned about the right to privacy. However, one must beg the question, what about Robin's privacy and her reputation? Her name was dragged through the mud, and the person who did that was now concerned about his privacy and his reputation? Anyway, early on, Will County did decide to turn the investigation over to the state police. In 1990, Marquez was fired because a new sheriff, who wasn't friends with him, was elected. That doesn't mean there wouldn't be cover-ups, but to be clear, between 1990 and 2012, the family thought the state police were doing their best. And now this case, if it wasn't confusing enough, starts to get very confusing and very murky. And that's not an accident. Robin's family believes that her body has been moved. This is because people have come forward to say that they believe they knew where her body was, but her body has not been found. In 1995, a basement in Joliet, Illinois was dug up by the state police. That dig produced no results. But beginning in around 2012, the family was approached by some individuals who had information to share. The first person we're gonna talk about is a lady who was a battered woman's advocate and a private investigator who had previously worked for Will County in different capacities. She investigated the case herself on her own time for about two years. One thing she found out was that the people named in Robin's $1.5 million lawsuit were never interviewed by police in connection with her disappearance. She filed FOIA, which is Freedom of Information Act, requests and was able to get access to some of the documents that have helped her family ask important questions they would otherwise not have known to ask. Shasso found out that at one point a person had come forward to police, a man by the name of Art, who in 1996 had claimed that he believed Robin's body was buried on his property. Now, Art was involved in criminal activity, for which in 96, he was arrested or questioned. He was interested in making a deal, so he decided to throw his friend Anthony Marquez under the bus in a way. He told police that he saw a dark car pull onto his property one night in 1990. And the next morning, there was what looked like a grave. He chose not to dig anywhere or to tell anyone. Now that's what he told police years later. But if he was correct, it's kind of hard to believe he just had a feeling that there is a body there and he had no prior knowledge from anyone in particular, and he didn't know beforehand what was going to happen. But common sense dictates people don't just go bury a body in somebody's yard. If they did, wouldn't the property owner want to find out what was in that freshly dug area? Well, Art gave this information up, and a search was performed. Now, at that time the deputy chief was a man by the name of john moss another friend of anthony marquez moss was present for that search another person present was an officer by the name of steve steve as it turns out seems to be an important part of this story in many peculiar ways he came forward not too many years ago to give the family his information first of all steve lived in joliet and he knew robin they worked for the same department And it just so happened that one day in August of 1990, Robin was pulled over right in front of Steve's Joliet home. And she was pulled out of her car by Tony Marquez and a couple other officers. Robin was yelling for help. Steve said he heard someone say, somebody ought to kill this bitch. This happened right in front of his house. Now the family had seen Steve before 2012 because Steve was the officer who was sent out To take the original missing person's report when they reported Robin missing. But then, as you know, the case was turned over to the state police and Steve was told nothing more about it. So in 1996, when the department was doing the search of Art's property for a possible dead body, Steve was there. He was supposed to be helping to dig. In fact, Steve witnessed John Moss, the deputy chief at the time, designating the digging spot to be in a separate area than that which Art had directed the police to dig if they wanted to find a body. Steve said that they protested and told Moss that there was no reason to dig in the wrong location, but he didn't care. So they in fact dug 100 feet away from the designated location and they found nothing. After John Moss retired, another dig was performed, but again, they didn't find the body. They said there was evidence of a grave, but no body. That's one of the reasons why people believe Robin's body was moved to another location. By the way, Steve wrote a letter and he also testified before a closed grand jury to what he saw and witnessed. He also talked about the connection between Art, Tony Marquez, and the owners of the tow truck company. Steve is one of the few brave officers of integrity at the Will County Sheriff's Department. February 2015. Another letter was written to the family. This letter referred to a property in a rural area of Will County. There's farmland included in this property, and it was being used by one of the officers at the Will County Sheriff's Department who was friends with the owner. The owner died, and a trucker purchased the land, which also included a house and some other farm-type buildings on it. Now the trucker still let the officer use the property to farm on but then the trucker decided that he wanted to make improvements or add another building or tear something down, we're not quite sure. But the poor guy could not get a permit. He was threatened and he even had to deal with people shooting at his house. Now, this isn't Garfield Park in Chicago. This is rural farming area where there are few houses, and if you're going to shoot up a house, you will not mistake a neighbor's house for that house. But it got worse. In 2014, the trucker's house was set on fire. The officer who had been using the property for years didn't want him making any changes at all. There's no evidence right now that even the house has been rebuilt. You have to ask yourself, why can't a man build a barn on his own property? Why would anyone think that they have the right to tell him what to do? Unless you work for the Will County Sheriff's Department and you let someone hide a body on the property, maybe. That brings us to the digs you'll find recent articles about. You'll remember there was a dig at a Joliet property in 1995. In early 2017, another dig at the same home in Joliet was performed, which also turned up nothing. As you heard a few minutes ago, John Romo owned a concrete business, and it has been said that his company poured concrete for this home, built around the same time Robin disappeared. A cadaver dog supposedly hit on that house at one point during the early years of the investigation, but because of the reluctance of the investigators in charge, the search was not as in-depth as it maybe should have been. Investigators must have thought the original lead was solid, but they've not shared any of it with the public. Robin's sister Jody has been vocal about this case at times over the years. She's even been told by the investigators in charge of bringing her sister's murderers to justice that her efforts to call attention to Robin's disappearance have delayed progress on this case. This is nothing more than a smokescreen, an attempt to hide from those questioning the abilities or motives of the detectives. Robin's family has no reason to trust authorities in this particular situation. Robin's mom died in 2004, and her dad passed away in 2014. Experts outside of the Illinois State Police and the FBI have offered to help with the case, including Tad DiBiase, an attorney and expert in the successful prosecution of murder cases without a body, and Dr. Lee, the world-famous criminologist and forensic scientist, both of them reached out to the Illinois State Police to offer free assistance, but were refused. Necrosearch, a nonprofit organization, also agreed to help. They were rejected. Robin's sister Jody is now working towards passing legislation which would allow private investigators and consultants access to open cases in order to help increase the chances of a cold case being solved. We here at Case Acquaint support that effort. Robin Renee Abrams would be 55 years old right now. She was only 28 when she disappeared on October 4th of 1990. You know, I've noticed a trend over most of our episodes, and I'm not going to say I'm proud of this trend. Being, in general, an enthusiastic supporter of law enforcement, I know it's a hard job. But that trend happens to be some questioning on our part at Case Acquaint of the investigatory acumen of some of these departments. You know, the community has the expectation of public sector employees that they will get their money's worth. And that means people serving the community in exchange for a paycheck are working for citizens. Somebody gets murdered, you don't stop looking until you find out who did it. No matter who goes to your church, who works with your wife, who your neighbor is, you serve Our Lady Justice because that's what you get paid to do. I believe most law enforcement professionals would agree, and they do serve justice as best they can. But in cases where families are hurting because somebody isn't doing their job, there needs to be some recourse or process by which other means of solving the case can be utilized. So I just wanna say that the cases we've been looking at, while one of the shared characteristics might be unmotivated or corrupt law enforcement, that doesn't mean we're trying to send any particular message in general about law enforcement. It's just these cases that don't get solved and no justice is served, there does appear to be sometimes a component of a lack of motivation or lack of commitment or maybe even lack of investigatory sophistication There's something wanting in these investigators. If you are one of these investigators, feel free to contact us to set us straight. We'd be happy to hear your side and even give you a platform to communicate your perspective to the public. That said, if you'd like to find out more about this particular case, there are several avenues you can explore. We would recommend that you start at the Facebook page called Help Find Robin Abrams. During our research, We stumbled across that page, and through that page, we were directed to a podcast on which Robin's sister, Jodi, appears in an episode. Jodi did an interview, and if this story interests you, it might be something you want to listen to. It's called The Unfound, and there's a link to that episode on the Help Find Robin Abrams Facebook page. The way Jodi talks, her frustration, but her tenacious hope is inspiring. I'm sure Jody would say that she doesn't have a choice, but she does have a choice, and she chooses to fight for her sister. Now, if you have any information about Robin's case, please contact the Illinois State Police at 815-726-6291, or you can send an anonymous letter to Friends of Robin Abrams, P.O. Box 283, Palos Park, Illinois 60464, or... Contact the Page Administrator on the Help Find Robin Abrams Facebook page. Finally, we want to thank the listeners who suggested this story. We don't usually do high-profile cases, but this case, while it's gotten so much attention from the media over the years, is so unjust and something needs to be done. I really hope that we here at Case Acquaint have played a small part in trying to draw more attention to this case, and we see this case closed very soon, and the murderers of Robin Abrams finally brought to justice. Thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon.